Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Please note, this podcast is a little racy in spots. If you have a delicate constitution and choose to continue listening, good for you. Uh, hi, my name is uh, Peter Nathaniel Malai. I'm an author out of the South Bay, San Jose, Santa Clara, where I'm a Steinbeck Fellow. Um, I was fortunate this past year to win the Jackson Award, sponsored by the San Francisco Intersection for the Arts, for a novel manuscript, What We Are. And I'm going to be reading presently from my story collection, Teach the Freeman which was published this past year at Swallow Press in April. A turning point. A burly security guard was padding down the entrance. He wore a thick, black, cotton-lined parka jacket to keep his tattooed arms warm. On the chest pocket was a stitched TP encircled by a stitched arrow. It looked like a formula to recycle waste and was a turning point emblem. The security guard, himself a recent graduate, said, "'Nothing on you, right?' "'Nah,' said Hymona. The security guard nodded. "'All right, homie. It's healing room three right up the stairs, past HR1 and HR2.' Hymona walked past him, officially confirmed and patted down. He was two days out of the penitentiary. He went up the patched-up stairs into an enclosed hallway. In line along the wall were framed quotations by Mahatma Gandhi and a self-help guru, Marianne Williamson.' Hymona stopped at the third frame, bordered in lavender and reading between two groves of artificial roses, show us not the aim without the way. Everyone in room HR3 was a man. Hymona looked around without looking, a skill he'd picked up in prison. About half were Hispanic and the other half black. The way he could tell was that blacks sat with blacks and Hispanics sat with Hispanics, just like in the penitentiary. Each man had a spiral notebook in his lap or at his feet. A few were sleeved down with jailhouse tattoos. One of the Hispanics had a 14 tattooed to his cheek, and he winked at Hymona when he came in. Another essay, he said. Hymona said nothing. He would correct him later on when the time came. Anyway, it wasn't exactly a greeting saying he was Mexican. The Hispanic was looking hard out the window, sagging yet inflated in his chair. Hymona was used to this kind of stuff among men, the feeling out and silence assessing. A dozen chairs outlined the perimeter of the room which was small and intimate. On one wall hung a framed circular diagram split into six wedges, and on the adjacent wall was the same wedge diagram in Spanish. There was still one available chair next to Hymona, under which the rug was thinner, almost torn. The security guard stepped into the doorway and then ducked back out, and a smiling woman walked in. She wore a body-tight, ankle-length dress. "'Thanks, Lopez,' the woman said to the guard. Lopez said, "'No problem, ma." Like a barroom bouncer, he had a stool just outside the door. The dress seemed out of place to Hymona. He'd never been to a formal dinner where formal dress was required, but he figured that if he had, he would have seen gowns like this, or maybe gowns aspiring to this. It was navy blue and finely cut, and there were subtle frills along the bottom which matched the subtle frills along the V of her bosom. She was ravishing, she was bustling with confidence of true wisdom, she was spearheading healing. Most of the men sat up when she came in, and one of the blacks said, Oh, she ready to heal tonight. The woman laughed and said, Good evening to you too, Giselle. The men shifted in their seats. Hymona did not move, did not even sit up. He had seen her without seeing. 
There was something in her confident gait he immediately despised. He was instinctively certain that she considered the out-of-placeness of her high-class outfit to be an act of generosity. It was sharing candy with underprivileged kids. "'We're running a little bit late,' said the woman, the smile somehow widening. She creased the hem of her dress and dragged both palms from the top of her buttocks down underneath her legs as she sat. She deeply inhaled once and raised her eyes to the room. A binder covered her lap. "'Does anyone want to begin?' she asked." I'll start, said Giselle. Many of the men put their heads down so as not to look at the speaker. My name's Giselle, and I'm feeling content right now. It's been a long week for me. Work's been tough, and my boss ain't right. But things are getting better. The woman smiled. And how did your homework go, Giselle? It was tough, but I did it, you know what I'm saying? It was tough finding all them people, and even tougher telling them I was sorry. The woman nodded. And how'd you feel about it afterwards, Giselle? Felt all right. And your wife? Did you apologize to her, too? I did, and made a landslide. The woman sat up and put a pencil to her lips. The lips were wealthy and brown, like the bosom, and artificially full like it, too. She was intrigued by the healing potential of the situation, and it showed. You mean a landslide of emotion, Giselle? Nah, man. Giselle dusted some lint from his slacks and shook his head. I mean a landslide on me. She went crazy with it. Told me an apology over last week's fuck-up ain't enough. Said I need to apologize about the week before that and the week before that and when I was done doing that. Then she said we'd start talking about months. The woman glowed, tapping her lips with the pencil. I've been with this woman for eight and a half years. The woman nodded. Now what did we say about that term, Giselle? Hymona looked around unknowingly. I didn't hear no term, he thought. I meant, Giselle said, my wife. But how do we feel about that term, Giselle? Giselle said, It's an outdated term. It's male privilege. The woman nodded slowly, raising her voice so that the group at large could hear. That's right. For a man to say woman implies possession. It devalues her role in your life. Now who wants that anyway, guys? Some men shook their heads. Wounds need closure, guys. When these deep-seated things fester, what happens to communication? Some of the men mumbled in varied volume, Amputation. In an instant, Hymona's institutionalized mind, in which everything always gets worse, jumped from amputation to emasculation to finally, and perhaps mercifully, execution. He had to rapidly blink the thought away. He suspected felonious fakery, ex-cons doing their time right by nodding away the hour, keeping their mouths shut, and avoiding the wrath of the system. Getting in, getting out, going home. "'Well, thank you, Giselle,' said the woman. "'And who's next?' There was a tangible pause while no one moved. The woman regally sat up, inhaling and smiling at the same time. Well, I'll go next, I guess. Hello, I'm Athena, and I'm feeling confused. Things with Jeff are still the same. He's refusing to go to our weekly healing meetings, and it's frustrating for me. I care for him very deeply. He has a lot of issues, but he's a wonderful lover. I want our love ship to survive the perils of most love ships, but I'm afraid. We should stop the problems before they occur. Right, guys? The men in her line of vision half-nodded. Those in her periphery did not move. That's why it's essential for us to start therapy now, to take care of these things early. Jeff doesn't think a couple should attend therapy until something is wrong. I guess he thinks it's like a jinx. Oh, well, I can't control him, and I can only control myself, and I can only hope for the best. The same men in her immediate vision nodded again, and Athena inhaled at the same time, smiling. Okay, she said. Who's next? The Hispanic with the 14 tattooed to his face raised his hand slowly. 
Hymona saw that his hand was also tagged with fourteens and it went no higher than his chin, then came down to his lap just as slowly as it had come up, like a waving mannequin in a department store window, its batteries dying. Okay, Pablo, we'd love to hear how you're feeling. So Pablo, he said, his voice like the heavy hand in his lap. Some time passed and he said, I'm feeling content. More time passed. Athena checked her watch and played with it for a while and then inhaled and said, And how did your homework go, Pablo? Okay. Did you apologize to the people you've hurt in your lifetime? He looked up at her and said, Sure. And how did it feel? Pablo smiled and nodded. Time kept at it. Felt good. And has it improved things with anyone in your life, Pablo? Sure. Okay, Pablo, like who? Your wife, maybe? Pablo smiled. Oh, Simone, hell yeah. She loves the big love ship now. A few of the men lightly snickered. Athena said, Well, good, Pablo, and I'm glad you've made the distinction between relationships and love ships. You can have relationships with anyone, but love ships are another thing. Love ships need work, and love ships need constant cleaning. There was more light snickering. But it's also important for us to address these things with our enemies, not just loved ones. I told Jeff that no matter what happens between us, even if we harbor irredeemable ill will, we'll always be able to communicate. Hymona was listening to every word she said with the outward appearance of indifference. After listening to her speak for five minutes, he had summarized specific aspects of her life. She was a divorced, wealthy, anal-compulsive Buddhist daughter of upper-class hippies. He knew she was divorced by the speed with which Jeff had gone from the love ship to a potential enemy. He knew she was wealthy by the facial and frontal implants and, in confirmation, the gown. He knew she was anal-compulsive by the way she sat. He knew she was Buddhist from the non-judgmental, tiptoey way she was talking and the parents, he just presumed. Lao Tzu stresses the importance of balancing our contrition with those we see and those we don't see, those we take from and those we give to. Life is not just about taking care of ourselves, though that's where it begins. It all starts with us taking care of ourselves. Seemingly relating to the thought, some of the men nodded. Giselle said, That's right, God take care of yourself. Athena smiled at the group response. She said, Who's next? In the ensuing half-hour, the men introduced themselves in a kind of subdued cooperation. Though there was a steadiness in their dialogue with Athena, the monotony in their voices seemed either Prozac-induced or spaced in the programmed repetition of a test administrator at the Department of Motor Vehicles. A few times Athena asked the speaker to raise his voice, and invariably he did, though sometimes with a noticeable delay. Some of the men went into more detail than others, and a select few had disastrous results with their homework. One had lost his temper apologizing to a cousin who refused to apologize back. Another had apologized to the wrong person. Athena reassigned the former the very same homework of apologizing again for losing his temper in the original apology and told the latter that it never hurt anyone to give or to hear an apology, even if it was to or from the wrong person. It was finally, circularly, good karma. Then, with nearly all the introductions completed, a young Hispanic with a Raiders beanie and the same 14 ink running the span of his forearm asked how you apologized to the dead. The beanie was suspiciously low over his brow. Athena quickly scanned her file and, smiling, dismissed herself from the room. When her office door clicked shut, Pablo whispered, ¿Qué pasó, Javi? Javier had his head bowed, deep in remorse. Like every other man in the room, Jaimona was watching, eyes between the floor and the ceiling and out the window. Hey, homie. Javier. Hey. Remorse was on his face. Necesito shut the fuck up, said Pablo. Don't say another word, I say. No digas nada. Javier put his head back down. 
Pablo slapped Javier's arm and grunted, Hey, homie, that bitch will snitch you off, fool. She's calling your parole officer right now. She'll send you back. Come back with a fucking tape recorder. Don't get soft. This eh? Me entiendes, homie? Yeah. This ain't no Dia de los Muertos. This ain't about yesterday, homie. This is about staying out that hole. What's gone in past help is past grief, homie. Kill it, ese. Javier mumbled half-heartedly. All right, Holmes. Kill it. Jaimona didn't speak Spanish, but he understood what, he had, what had just occurred. He had the same parole officer as Javier, as did Giselle and Pablo and everyone else in the room. His homeboys had told him just before he got out the penitentiary, that motherfucker ain't no joke, so he sent me back here for sneezing. He's always doing dirty on a homeboy. And so she was checking on Javier, his files, whether or not his case number had been murder. Jaimona chuckled and thought she gave him an opening. If he got pinched for murder, he wouldn't be in this goddamn classroom right now. He'd be in the ground or up with 25 to life. She should have rolled the tape if she wanted him. She should have never left the room. The office door clicked open and seconds later Athena came back into the room smiling. None of the men looked up and least of all Hymona. She sat in the same wrinkle-free fashion she had sat earlier, hand to the ass, almost a slap, down the length of the hamstring in smooth, descending motion. Smiling, well, okay, sorry for the delay, everybody. Javier? Yes. Did you want to share how you feel about it? He rubbed the corner of his eye. All right. Smiling. These things are tough, Javier. Take your time. Some of the men were shaking their heads no, with more water coming up in Javier's eyes and the collective huff of a jam-packed holding tank. Javier said, I love them both. Jaimona shook his head, Athena nodding empathetically. And I never got to see them before I got out. Mama died, then Papa died. Then I got out the pen. Never said sorry to either one of them for getting locked up. Athena said, standing, not smiling, Oh my God, Javier. Well, what should I do? Now smiling, go to the cemetery, make amends, bring flowers. My parents taught me that family peace comes before world peace. I'll be back shortly, class. When he heard the hurried slam of her office door, Pablo said, You scared me, I say. And Giselle crossed race lines. You crazy, nigga. Jaimona merely sat, sagging in his chair, bitter and very close to anger. At least in the penitentiary, a man had a little silence to ruminate, to let the anger build and do bad with it, or let the guilt build and try to get out. No good came from the penitentiary, but sometimes you got out. And to what, Hymona thought, a classroom of sobbers and a lying bitch. Athena returned after a minute more and came rushing in. She sat in her customary, wrinkle-free way and fingered the face of her watch. We've got to hurry. I have to set aside fifteen minutes for the film, guys. Who's next? No one said anything. Everyone but Hymona had introduced himself, and everyone but Athena was feeling content. Athena had been confused for the second time in three meetings. Athena smiled and said, Is that it? In a confined moment of hope, Hymona thought he might be spared from speaking as a first-timer at Turning Point. But better sense deemed otherwise. The strained confessions of men who'd been to the same places he'd been, maybe worse, tiptoed the same lurid yards in the same four-by-eights, maybe longer, worn the same torn-up state-issued threads and slept in the same hanky-thin sheets, maybe less, eaten the same slop wearing the same stoic institutionalized scowl meant that, law-ordered, he wouldn't get off. And when Athena asked him the proper pronunciation of his name, he knew he was done for. She said, Ma-su-e-su-e. Is that right? Sounds maybe Kenyan? Or is it South African? 
I once was in a love ship with a young Kenyan poet, but he was a projector. He shot all his problems with life off on me. I'll never date a Kenyan again, or a poet. Jeff says he wasn't my type anyway. Well, what kind of name is that? Ma, Sue, E, Sue, E. Mine. What's your ethnicity? Samoan. That's why you're so big, she said. Well, welcome, Hymona. Did I say it right? Though she hadn't, Hymona opted for silence. He raised his head at Pablo. Hymona was indeed brown, but he wasn't an essay, and he wanted a silent confirmation from Pablo, who'd drawn a race line when Hymona first walked in. In the passing moment, Pablo raised his head back, the same gesture. No bond between them, no sweat or debt, Pablo looked off to another staring point just as hard as Hymona. So, Athena said, she was organizing papers, sliding papers out in silent counting, licking her fingers, sliding more papers out, handing specific papers to Hymona, who, like her, was head down. On one handout there was a pie with six wedges that seemed remotely familiar. He glimpsed at the two frames on the wall and saw why. Abuse, coercion and threats, intimidation, emotional abuse, blaming, male privilege. He turned the paper over and saw the therapeutically sound alternatives. Partnership, negotiation and fairness, non-threatening behavior, respect, accountability, and shared responsibility. Athena turned, smiling, still organizing some remaining papers, and said, What you're going to need is a notebook for the class. You'll want to bring it with you every week. You'll have a homework assignment, usually having to do with some class discussion and healing. Hamona didn't move from the sag. And, she said, looking down again, missing something, finding something, thinking it over, fingering again. Hymona handed her a paper. I need this signed. Athena smiled at the class and held it, awaiting words from the group. None of the men said anything. Pablo, she said, do you want to explain to Hymona our policy on signing attendance sheets? Pablo did not look over at Hymona. Neither did any other Mexican. Blacks and Samoans kicked it together in the pen, and so some of the blacks took a peek. Pablo stared at Athena and said, she'll sign it at the end of class. Hymona scrunched the paper back in his pocket. So, said Athena, how are you feeling? Hymona said nothing. On the second sheet of paper, you've got a list of emotions. So, Athena said invitingly, how do you feel? Hymona looked down at the paper and saw happy, festive, serene, comfortable, peaceful, joyous, ecstatic, enthusiastic, inspired, glad, pleased, grateful, cheerful, perplexed, dismayed, frightened, apprehensive, horrified, cautious, grumpy, secure, afflicted, aching, ardent, zealous, stretched, hollow, feisty, immobilized, pathetic, desirous, daring, offended, courageous, somber, gloomy, fidgety, content, content. And what do you expect to learn from the class, Hymona? What? Athena said, What do you expect to get out of the class? A completion certificate. Suddenly, Athena sat up in the chair and the smile withered away. The stairs of the men crossed at points but never met. Lopez, the security guard, shifted in his stool by the door. Does anybody hear what I hear? Athena asked. The men looked away as if they had neither heard what Athena had heard nor heard her ask about what she'd heard. Pablo? Pablo looked up slowly, not at Hymona. Would you say that Hymona is being a little bit rigid? Pablo acted like he had been selected to clean the urinal. He looked over at Hymona, down at the notebook in his lap. Like any other man, he didn't want unnecessary problems, and so he tempered his answer accordingly. He shook his head. A little bit. And what does rigidity lead to, guys? Doomed friendships and love ships. Hymona said to Pablo, You don't know shit about me, homie, and neither does she. Some of the Mexicans sat up, including Javier. Lopez spun slowly in the stool and faced the class. Hymona's stare was steady, chest out.
Pablo said, Take it easy, Holmes. Mind your own then, homie. Keep it real. Now, guys, who you think you're talking to? I say, guys, I don't give a fuck who I'm talking to. Guys, if you're getting a little hot under the collar, just take a time out. Just tell yourself you need to step back and take a break from it all. That's what we learn in here, right? Pablo said, I'll take a time out. Yes, Pablo, said Athena. That's very good. Just be back before the hour to sign in. Pablo stood just as slowly as he had done anything else. He brushed the lint from his slacks, rolled the sleeves of his jacket, and billboarded the tats on his forearm. The labyrinth of green ink nearly preceded his exit from the room. When he hit the door, his eyes were on Hymona, who returned the same stare. He passed Lopez in the hallway and commenced down the steps. Lopez came in the door. Oh, it's all right, Lopez, said Athena. Everything's fine. Pablo's just been here a little longer than Hymona. He understands the benefits of self-control. He has the tools to take a timeout when he needs to, and Hymona doesn't. Yet. She looked over at the first timer. Well, Hymona, tell me again what you want out of the class. A certificate of completion. Athena nodded, the smile coming up, and began to read the file. Yes, well, you've a history of violence now, don't you? You came from a violent background, an abusive family. Your father beat you at a young age, almost killed your mother. Hymona looked down at his feelings sheet. He felt like he'd been zapped below the belt with a cattle prod. He didn't want her talking about things she wasn't entitled to talk about, and family was one of them. But he didn't know what she knew. There were files and files of accurate and inaccurate biographical tidbits on him, and she probably had every one of them in her lap. And any tidbit she didn't have, she could get. He didn't know what she knew, but he didn't want any other man to hear one detail unqualified. In a confessional age, there were still men who were still silent and went against the times. Athena told Hymona what she knew. You've been arrested for assault and battery, assault with bodily injury, assault with a deadly weapon, your fists. You nearly killed your girlfriend and the man she was with, for which you served out a six-year term. You've been out now for two days, and already you're creating problems for yourself. If, by saying you want a certificate of completion, you mean you want to get to the bottom of these problems, you would be right on. If, by saying you want a certificate of completion, you mean that you will approach this classroom with an open mind to healing... You would be right on. If by saying you want a certificate of completion, you mean not to waste the class's time with meaningless rigidity, rigidity which will serve you in the same faulty fashion it has served you before, you would be right on. Athena had the full-on smile again, a vague, gaping whiteness in Hymona's peripheral vision. All along it had been a bold and bright insult, growing in stature in a lengthy half-hour. It was deviously sensible. She had backing all the way around in silence. He'd go back to the pen for sure if he walked out on her for good. The other men would silently applaud with smiles, admire his rebellion, and maybe tell some stories to their homeboys, and he could retell the stories to kill time while locked up. But it would mean nothing. They didn't care about him. He was just another story. He wanted out of the system, and this was the first step. This was the turning point, and she knew it. They knew it, too, because they were doing it, step by weekly step, confining themselves in freedom as they confined themselves in the penitentiary. And the worst, if he walked away, he'd be back here again someday, once he got out. The elephantine state of California never forgets. And if he opted for the root of violence that had got him locked up to begin with, something worse would occur. That prehistoric phenomenon of men protecting the other sex, an urge which must be the benevolent side of violence, a phenomenon no more alive in life than in the penitentiary itself, where Hymona had watched in wonder young women preachers, guest singers, and correctional officers prance through the block in giggles and hairspray, more certain of their safety than he himself, banking on prehistoric protection, that last core value of every man when stripped down like a convict, that he could protect his woman, he could still do that. 
All this would come crashing down upon him with the fisted, booted, forearmed force of twelve stripped men, enraged at his violation of the code in their face, enraged that he couldn't internalize the urge as they did, that he couldn't cut it for even a week. He lifted his head to the room and Giselle met his gaze with the conspiratorial surreptitiousness of a crime partner. Giselle was the friendliest of the pack, two weeks from finishing the class. He half nodded and pinched his eyebrows down together. The gesture said, Don't bring us all down, nigga. The smile was almost in front of him. Now would that be correct, Hymona? Sure, he said. Good, I'm so pleased. Well, welcome, Hymona. We're all very excited to have you with us. The smile was in his face and then gone. Now we've not much time left. Let's begin the video. It's the follow-up of last week's presentation on male privilege. Athena smiled Lopez out of the doorway, pranced out under its arches, and re-emerged with a television on a shelf with rollers. The shelf fit perfectly into the space of the doorway, like a puzzle piece. Lopez was directly behind the television, his back to the class, his shoulders twitching now and then. He looked back once at Hymona and then sat down on the stool. Athena pressed play and, even as he registered the action on the screen, Hymona began the process of preparation. Turning point was a year long. After tonight, there were 51 weeks left, at 25 bucks a pop. When it's over, a thousand bucks to the state. Don't think about that. Gotta say hello and your name and then an inside feeling and gotta lose the rigid face. Think about that. Do it. Keep a feel on the woman, her mood, her tone, her ideas, her smile, and hover about like a bumblebee. Keep your stinger to yourself. Be there every week, sign in, sign out, perfect attendance, or it's back in the joint. And Pablo will return before the hour for the same reason. And he'll be back the next week, too, back with a scowl. Maybe to get you. Maybe he'll get on the horn next week and call up some homeboys. Or maybe he'll show up next week with a piece. Maybe he'll slash the tires on your ride, smash the windows. Maybe he'll follow you home. But whatever happens next week, a timeout doesn't mean take a break from it and cool off in the corner and come back and forget about a slight and shake hands and hug and start over. Especially in a room full of parolees. Gotta patch it up somehow. Gotta remind Pablo who the enemy is, who's on what side, who's on the same side, who's got choice in the matter, who doesn't. Gotta show him it's one big setup to lose. Gotta work toward male neutrality, like two lions passing on the range. Gotta do it in front of the class, still strong, but smart strong. And if the woman's there watching, fuck it, gotta do it. Keep your back to the wall and head up, just like in the joint. But if it comes down to it and you can't get out the fix, fuck it, do what you gotta do to survive. The presentation ended and Athena stood and pranced over and bent down in front of the set. No one admired her ass but Giselle. Still facing the screen, she asked the class, Did you see how they resolved their problem through open, frank discussion? No one raised their voices. No one made threatening gestures. That's one good thing about Jeff. He hasn't threatened me yet. He just goes off by himself when he's mad. But if we all keep the idea in mind that our partner has a problem to be resolved just like us, we're one step closer to healing. The buzz of the machine rewinding accentuated the silence in the room. No one but Giselle moved about in the seat. Athena three-stepped back to her seat and removed a felt marker from the flap of her binder. The marker was purple-pink and fat like a cigar. When she uncapped it and began writing on the board, Hymona could smell the ink. He looked around the room. Javier was watching him, brooding. Hymona nodded, and Javier looked down. So, said Athena, what did you notice about the way the couple conversed? Giselle said, he asked her questions. Okay, Athena was still writing. She was redrawing the wheel on the wall. Can you say more about it, Giselle? He didn't tell her what to do once. 
Athena stopped writing and turned to face the class. That's right, she said. There is mutual respect between them. Jeff says that that's the one thing he loves about our love ship. He knows I give him respect. Did you see it, guys? Most of the men nodded and Giselle said, Yeah. Athena was waiting for Hymona. He was looking down in his lap, and when he felt the silence, he looked up. Javier had found something else to focus on. How about you, Hymona? What did you notice? Well, no one tried to be the boss. No one tried controlling anyone. The smile came back. That's right. Both parties were on equal ground in every facet of their conversation. That's what we all want, really. Equality in our relationships, friendships, loveships, the workplace. Everything we're involved in, we long for equality. Haimona, you've pointed out an essential problem people have in resolving problems. Look at the anger wheel, guys. Athena pointed at the board and circled a wedge. It was the same wedge on the wall and on the paper in Hymona's lap. Inside the wedge, the words power and control were underlined twice in wavy lines. She circled the same wedge in the other wheel. It read, Equality. She drew an arrow from the first wedge to the second wedge, not smiling yet, frowning. This is our life goal, guys, said Athena, treating everyone we meet with equality. By eliminating our own insecure desires for power and control, we optimize our chances of healing. And plus, guys, it's good karma, good chi. No one wants to be told what to do, not your friends or your kids, not your wives. What happens, guys, to problems dealt with equally? Giselle said louder than the others, Absolution. The smile came up and Athena capped her pen. Absolutely absolution. Okay, guys, I'm going to let you out a little early so I can talk to Pablo when he returns. Your homework for next week is, let's think of something good. You're going to give me homework on my last week? Do you think you're different than everyone else, Giselle? Hell yeah, I got two weeks left. I must be different than everyone else. Okay, then it's fair for you to have different homework than everyone else, right? Your homework is to tell the class next week what you've learned in the past year. The class will be yours for the first ten minutes. Giselle winced. It made the smile come back. Giselle matched it as if he needed to cover for the remaining unsmiling men of the group. Good, Giselle. Everyone else, write out a recreation of your crime, whatever it was, how you would deal with it now, what would happen. Giselle said, That's easy. What happened is you won't be here. Athena laughed and the men stood and got in line, and Athena signed their attendance sheets one by one. There was some muffled discussion in the rear of the line, lessening towards the middle of it, and altogether gone by the time the parolee reached the front of the line. Some men offered harmless, obsequious flatteries to Athena, and she took each one gracefully, equally harmless. Javier cut in line in front of Hymona. The raider's beanie pushed his ears out like flaps. He said, You got a long time left here, homie. Want to take it easy? This life is a long time. Javier was at the front of the line. Sometimes it is, sometimes it ain't. Hello, Javier, said Athena. He turned slowly away from Hymona. Thanks for sharing with us tonight. You're welcome, he said. Hymona reached the front of the line. Javier went out the door. It was just Hymona and Athena in healing room three. She said, I'm very happy that you're with us, Hymona. If you have any difficulty making the payments, just tell me. We can arrange an alternative payment plan, okay? His mind was on all things opposite of healing. He said routinely, okay, and then gave her the sheet. There you go, said Athena. See you next week. Thank you. Hymona came into the hallway and took three steps to the bathroom. The door cut the hallway into two equal sections. He would check the head, HR1 and HR2. He gripped the doorknob and opened it. He bent down and peered underneath the first stall. No feet. He pushed the stall door open. No one propped up on the porcelain. He did the same with the second stall. The bathroom was empty. No breathing, no noise, no one but himself and the head. 
just the hum of the overhead waterline and the trails of a song beneath the door. The song sounded like distant, repetitious orchestral music. It almost sounded like the waterline. Hymona stared into the mirror and institutionalized menace on his face and told himself to relax. This wasn't the joint. He didn't have to hold his breath or tiptoe. He wasn't walking the yard, bottling himself into scowls, signs, and vernacular, keeping with the manic, universal concern for safety. This was where the Jeffs and Athenas of the world dallied about half-heartedly, where non-committal union was okay and you could walk away from the past. This was the outs. This was freedom. Forced freedom, maybe. The state still holding the strings of autonomy, still calling the shots, but it was the best he'd get for a while. He smiled and said to himself in the mirror, Take it easy, man. Just like that essay said. He came out the door and almost collided with Lopez. Lopez was breathing hard like he'd been exercising. He put an index finger to his lips. The deep, mysterious chant which Hymona had heard in the bathroom was filling the hallway. Lopez wiped the sweat from his brow with a sleeve and motioned at the office of Athena. It's the boss ma, he said. She's meditating. Oh, don't worry, man. Just head on out. Should I wait until she... Nah, nah, go now, man. She don't like people hanging around. Lopez began softly whistling a tune. Then he stood in the doorway of H.R. 3. Go ahead, huh? Hymona shrugged and started down the hallway. He vowed to walk past her office without acknowledging her presence. He passed the other two rooms of healing and the eerie chanting grew louder, no longer distant, possessive of hallway ear space. Hymona defied the vow and, still walking, glanced into Athena's office. Her back was pressed evenly to the wall, her ass flat on the rug, legs crossed beneath the dress, eyes closed, head up, oming. Her tone was as controlled as the chant filling her office, but there was an undercurrent of narcissistic ecstasy in the pitch. She seemed to be separate from life itself, as if both the healing and the horrors of every man who ever set foot in her office were of the very distant past. Hymona was happy her eyes were closed. He didn't have anything at all to share with her about his first meeting at Turning Point. It made him feel better when he passed undetected. He came down the steps of the Turning Point offices feeling alive. When he'd walked from the prison gates two days back, he'd felt something of the same family of bliss. Yet the feeling then was a little closer to relief, like the cool water after an exhaustive ten-mile run. Tonight he felt a release of invigoration. The cold snuck up on him and he made a bowl with his hands and blew into the palms, a smoke cloud forming around his face. He had been sweating in the hallway and only knew it now from his steaming cheeks blurring things a bit. Yet the cold shadow of night was almost comforting. He softly chuckled. The steady, rhythmic chanting was still coming from the office. He had not reached the bottom step when he felt a tremor in the wood frame. He knew what it was and who it was before he even thought of turning, and almost simultaneously a blow to his ear confirmed what he knew. He was thinking he shouldn't even turn at all, since it was better to be knocked into oblivion and land in the hospital than return to the penitentiary for fighting, but already he was falling down the steps to the concrete below. A quick shuffle step and drag step and the endorphin adrenaline awakened anxiety prevented a total loss of balance, and almost immediately again he was struck in the ribs from a different angle, thinking, that wasn't a fist, it wasn't, wasn't. The needle-point pain made him turn toward it and swivel his hips on the pivot foot, and he aimed for the Raiders logo and struck Javier upside the temple. Javier's steel knuckle shot off into the bushes from the blow, and he was collapsing to the ground like an accordion condensing, and Hymona turned and swiveled again and swung and grazed Pablo's cheek. He was moving in reflexive immediacy, decisions in quarter seconds. Everything snapped in black and white pictures, yet behind it all were the molten images of the meditating woman coursing through his mind. He was growling like an animal, thinking, "'Bitch, you did—bitch, bitch, you did this!' 
Steady on his feet, circling Pablo, he was blazing cognizance. Pablo lunged like a fencer and Jaimona stepped to the side and clutched him by the shoulders and drove him to his back. Pablo hit the pavement at the same time Jaimona hit the cushion of his body and bounced up to his knees. Pablo was straining and timed bodily surges, like bodily hiccups, bodily convulsions. Jaimona's left hand balled into a fist and struck the face again and again, while the other stretched for the fourteen on his neck, and somewhere between that very moment and his knuckled fist blooming and draping the open, already choking hand, Jaimona thought, fuck it, too late, done, dead. It was forced freedom gone down the drain, and it was blood geysering from Pablo's nose and mouth and his eyes rolling up. A louder tremor than before came, and Jaimona knew it was the inside of his untamed head, a train wreck, and then not. It was too loud to be his head, like overhead thunder, a herd of bison, the deep resinous cough of a choking wood frame. He was squeezing Pablo's neck harder and was struck again in the same spot of the ribcage and shoved aside to the bushes. As he was already rolling to his feet, he was thinking, Here come the, here they, get the hell out of here, man. Jaimona didn't step back or forward, huffing, spitting, shivering, blinking. Lopez said, Get the fuck out of here before that bitch wakes up and calls the cops. Then to Pablo, Andale ese, arriba. Jaimona's feet were backing him up one by one, but he did not turn. Lopez wiped at Pablo's nose with a jacket of his sleeve and then took the jacket off altogether. His arms were covered with green and red and a half-dozen tattooed fourteens. There was a forceful soothing in his voice, the steady, paternal intonation of experience. Come on, I say, get up, homie, come on, straighten up, I say, gotta clean you up and sign in. Javier was out cold in the bushes, and Jaimona's institutionalized mind was registering everything. The moment Lopez was completely draped by Pablo, he would attack again. Yet when he heard Lopez grunt, Get up the steps, I say, get up there. It was like a license to leave the scene. A rush of blood came to Jaimona's legs. The unsteady staircase leading to the turning point offices was still trembling. They were already up it and gone, had never been there, efficient ex-cons just like him. He turned and stretched out in a hurried but composed stride. His ears were ringing, his eyes and ribs stung, the swollen knuckles a pulsating heartbeat. He was cupping the blood flowing from his ear, wincing at the thought of next week. He did not think it mattered much beyond the inconsequential bounds of pain. Just live in it, just die in it. Everyone he knew felt pain, and there was a hell of a lot more on the horizon. This healing stuff would always be in business. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit www.kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.